I think it's important to get this get, get this off our chest right away. You know, we need to we need to be right up front about this. Um, this is Elwood City Limits, and I, ha I have to warn you, we've, we've had a lot of people who've been following us for a very long time, but it turns out you've been listening to Elwood City Limits incorrectly for oh. the past four and a half years. Oh my gosh, the revelations. This is, this is wild, Will. Well, Lucas, I don't want to... I don't want to spoil what we're about to get into in the next, you know, our little session here, but if you watch the episode along with us, you, you you would know that this episode, the one that you're listening to right now, is supposed to go before every single episode <laughs> okay. of Arthur. Yes. Okay, yes, okay. I, I I'm I'm glad we're starting the show up for, the show off with this. See, I can't even talk. This is such a huge <laughs> kind of discovery we've made in this episode but life this, changing not since we actually figured out the location of elwood city has there been such kind of uh such kind of revelations that have shaken the arthur lore to its core uh i think this might be kind of the craziest discovery uh we've had about the implications of the entire series of arthur since we've started the show it, it really some wild stuff in the episodes this week Absolutely, and I really can't wait to talk about it, and of course, uh, hear what everybody else has to say. Welcome to Elwood City Limits. This is the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Uh, my name's Will Young, and my co-host is Lucas Mancini. Hello. Um, we are going to get right into the emails because we have a lot of them. It was a, it was a bumper crop this time around, and speaking of you know, listening to the Elwood City Limits podcast a certain way, uh, one of these emails uh, is definitely going to change, if not you, how you, the listener, listen to the show. It may just change how Lucas and I uh, listen to our own show. And I'm very excited to get into to everything, but let's let's talk about it. So ElwoodCityLimits.gmail.com is the place to send your feedback to us. And if you would like it right on the air, uh, please let us know. And uh, let's get it started here with Funith, one of our uh, uh, many longtime emailers. Funith is of the opinion that the Arthur specials post-Arthur's Perfect Christmas just don't feel like anything other than filling up time. Stuff like Arthur's Missing Pal is at least weird in in a so bizarre looking it's almost fascinating category but after that with the recent stuff they just come across to me as dull rather it feels their crowning achievements are a catchy song here and there and managing to make bizarre character designs like toddler kate the where the wild things are pastiches and the dog from the pound of the thanksgiving special we haven't seen some of these so i look forward to it there just isn't that old cartoony punch and zing you get from as intimate and honest honest a feeling that the Christmas special has. Not to mention none of the new ones have spawned a single notable meme compared to Arthur's Perfect Christmas. What's your guys' take on this? So I, I'm, I'm guessing this is we are holding Arthur's Perfect Christmas in a, in a certain light, or at least Funith is, compared to some of the newer Flash ones that we've seen, which we have done for commentaries, which you can find on uh, the free feed. And if you're a patron, you have access to every single commentary that we've done. We've done a bunch of them. I want to say like three in the newer animation uh but what do you, but what do you think lucas i feel like this kind of you can file this under 
uh, is old Arthur better than new Arthur kind of discussion? <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if that has a part of it. But I, I I feel like we'll have to watch more of the actual newer episodes of the show to know if kind of these more long-form um, specials are indicative of the quality of the show at the time or if it's just the type of show that doesn't lead itself well to the special format and Arthur's Perfect Christmas was kind of an outlier. Mm. Uh, I, agree with, um, I agree with the email. Uh, I think that that's exactly how I've kind of felt about the movies or, or I, I get they're not really movies but the spe- the hour-long specials I will say that I've probably enjoyed them a little bit more just because it's really fun to do the commentary uh, That's and, true. And, and me and you joking and yucking it up throughout them uh, <laughs> really adds something um, because I don't have to pay as close of attention like for instance um, again the the CGI one that's what is it Arthur's missing pal yeah that's it yeah, that one I had a blast. I had an absolute blast, and I barely understood what was going on the whole time. It was so fun. Uh, but yeah, the the where the wild things are. Yeah, whew, I really didn't like that one. Um, so yeah, I think the, the the listener hit the nail on the head. What about you, Will? Well, I will say this. I'll, I, I kind of want to pivot from this a little bit because um, I, I don't disagree with what you said. Um, it kind of came to me. I found a couple of videos that I put in the uh, Elwood City Limits Discord uh, for all our patrons. Uh, a couple of out-of-context Arthur YouTube videos, which I always find to be pretty funny. And one of them had a lot of cl- uh, clips from seasons like one to three. And it's interesting to see the comparison between the way the animation looks. Now, of course, I don't want to leave this into another like, if Flash animation is bad and, you know, hand-drawn animation is is better it's just like it is what it is you like what you like and i was gonna say excellent impression of me by the way no i'm just joking (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) but um and it reminds me of a twitter post that i saw actually it was comparing the opening of the simpsons and the way that mar uh, you know in the opening of the simpsons when they scan maggie through the um through the grocery store lineup and then Marge kind of turns to look at her and how with the original hand-drawn animation, there's a real there's a real like whip to her turnaround. There's a real sense of motion and expression versus when they redid it in kind of the more CGI style that the Simpsons has. It's not completely CGI, but it's like computer. Yeah. Um, illustra- computer computer yeah. illustration. Yeah. It's, it's a lot stiffer. So I think that that's a pretty common, um, I think that's a pretty common observation from a lot of people. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to throw it out there. And of course, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I'm a, you know, first few seasons of Arthur Homer. So I really don't want to stick around on that kind of thing uh, for too long. I just wanted to represent Funith's view for anybody out there who might agree. Um, I actually, I will say I really liked the rhythm and roots of Arthur. I actually, I actually quite enjoyed that one. That's the most recent commentary that we did that is only available on Patreon for now. Uh, so I think that there's still a capacity. I mean, Arthur's Perfect Christmas, I'll, I'll be honest. I think it was part, partially because I didn't watch it when I was younger. I don't have a lot of strong, I, I like it. I don't love it, but uh, I can appreciate that other people may feel differently. Let's move on to one of our newest patrons and listener, Vinny Cataldo, uh, a new listener and a big Arthur fan uh, who had an interesting fact about the latest episode that we covered, uh, which was Baby Kate and the Imaginary Mystery. The postcards from Buster segment in that episode, postcards from you, was shot in my hometown of Des Moines, Iowa. I have one quick question for you guys. What do you guys think is the most underrated and overrated episode of Arthur? 
So uh, Vinny has something uh, after that, so I'll just briefly get to that before we get to the question. One last funny story I have with Arthur. I watched the show a lot in third grade and was teased for liking it. Then I showed it to one of my friends, and he fell in love with it, and eventually all of my friends started to like it. Funny connection to the That's a Baby Show episode from the series. Well, thank you, Vinny, for the email. So underrated and overrated episodes of Arthur. I think the one that sticks out to me, and I think we both thought this at the time, was the music video episode of Arthur. I think we built that up a lot to be like, oh, this is going to be great. And then it was just like, eh, this is okay. Yeah, that's a good pick for overrated. I, there's a lot of ones where kind of the memes are more famous than the episode at large, right? Like, so for instance, the episode yeah. where Arthur punches DW is it really, I mean, it's a really fun episode to watch now just because like it, it's so kind of crazy removed from the context of the time and with yeah. all this extra kind of hubbub surrounding it because of the memes that have spawned from it. But, you know, taken as an Arthur episode, it's it's I don't remember thinking it was a bad episode, but it's certainly not like one of the best. Um, and it's probably one of the most famous. So I think that would count it as overrated. Um, underrated, I mean, it's not underrated by us because we talk about it all the time, but Grandpa Dave's Country Farm. Uh, I don't see people talking about it uh, on mm. online. It's just between me and you, right? And I would say that that's probably the best Arthur episode. So that would have to be underrated for me. These, these points that you're hitting, uh, it just keeps feeding into... Uh well, what I've saved is the last email, so I keep laughing to myself. Uh, I really can't wait to get to it. But yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's a pretty good one from both of us. I mean, I I, I guess I'm, I'm just old, so I feel like, hey, nobody talks about seasons one and two. Some of the greatest episodes of Arthur are there. So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, off the top of my head, underrated episodes. That's a little bit tough. So, Vinny, I might uh, pose that to the, uh, to the Arthur Discord, and uh, we'll try and hash something out there. From a new listener, Diana from Texas, uh, recently found our podcast at the beginning of the year, has been listening nonstop since then. Diana, I had to trim this a little bit. Appreciate the praise. I just didn't want, you know, I <laughs> I feel self-conscious when um, I, a lot of your emails are very kind and have a lot of praise. I tend to kind of edit those out because I don't want to be here being like, oh, your podcast is the best. The podcast, yeah. you're, look, the podcast you've chosen to listen to is so great. And like, I really appreciate that. And that's great for me and Lucas to see. I just try and save it for everybody <laughs> else because it feels a little self-aggrandizing to be uh, reading out the really effusive praise that you, jeez, uh, look, I'm almost doing it now. You guys are really kind with, <laughs> with your words and we really appreciate it. Please don't stop praising us you might just not hear me say it out loud if my head was to get any bigger it would fall off my shoulders will so the last thing i need is someone uh pumping my sails if you will pumping your sails uh pumping your tires maybe i don't know are sails pumped i'm not i can't say that i'm a i'm a sailor by any means i wait <laughs> you you keep talking i gotta i maybe the, this was like a I, I misremember pumping my. I feel like that's real. Wait, maybe it is. Like maybe it is. While you look that up, let's go back to Diana. I've been a I, big. Okay, I I think I've made this up. I don't think there is such a thing as as There's pumping a, sales. Yeah, pumping tires. I don't like. I mean, I suppose sales are maybe maybe made flush by the wind or something. Uh, put putting wind in the sails. Putting wind but, in my sails. Yeah, yeah. So sailing <laughs> terms from not nautic. Nautic, nauticeducation.com. Let's go to control F. We're going to type in pumping. Uh, okay, no, this is not what we want. No, okay. Anyway, continue. <laughs> 
back to, Di- back to Diana again. I have been a big, big Arthur fan since I was a kid. I have read every picture book and chapter book Mark Brown has ever put out. My obsession tripped wow. down to reading every book Mark Brown has written or illustrated for. You'd be surprised how many Arthur cast-like characters make their way into his other works, too. I actually got to meet him like five years ago at a book signing. Regardless, I enjoy the type A look into Arthur. I agree with y'all wholeheartedly about Arthur's anxious nature. I was a pretty nervous kid, too, growing up, so I related to it. The thing I can appreciate about that is how the show kind of puts a humorous spin on it, especially the big gasp and crazy daydreams. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. It puts into perspective how silly we can be when we start worrying too much. Like the library book episode where he dreams about being chained to his book. It encompasses the anxiety about being in trouble, but it makes the punishment so silly. Y'all didn't mention this, but I thought it was weird in the first season that Brain would be referred to as the Brain by everyone. In the Spelling Bee episode, Mr. Haney calls him the Brain. If it really was a school-wide spelling competition, why wouldn't they use his real name? If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Ratburn calls him the Brain, too, in early episodes. I know in later episodes, Mr. Ratburn calls him Alan, and so do his parents. But it's funny that the writers were like, "Uh, I don't know, I don't care about it in the beginning. (laughs) Well, I, t- I, yeah. I think I think um, just to, to comment on that, I think it's uh, it gets retconned for sure. Um, but initially, it's like Kramer on Seinfeld, where for the first few seasons of Seinfeld, it's not known that Kramer has a first name. Right. Um, yes. But then eventually, once that's uh, revealed kind of in this one episode where they're like, oh, my God, his name's Cosmo. Yeah. Um, from then on, people use his first name and his uh, nickname interchangeably. Similarly, I think there's an episode in the early seasons where it's like a big reveal that brain's real name is alan it could be Mm. the one where arthur goes over to brain's house i don't remember but uh everybody just knows him by brain up to that point um and i think once that gets revealed the writers kind of just change the way people refer to him but uh very astute observation it's true uh it doesn't make any sense that the teachers would call him brain yeah it's in it's in the one where brain stays over and 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 arthur's like alan alan who Oh, you mean the brain? And then there's that episode later on where Brain and Buster kind of switch roles, and uh, he continually asks to be called Alan when he's not the brain, and then later when he assumes the role, uh, everybody else uh, reverts to calling him Brain. So it's almost more of like an honorific at that point. Mm. Uh, Like Master Chief. (laughs) It's exactly like Master Chief. I, too, also loved when we got to see the characters in alternative outfits. I always had names for them, like Evening Wear Arthur and Casual Outfit Buster. I was also very unsympathetic to Francine as a kid. Since I related so much to Arthur, I feel her to be such an unnecessary bully to her friends, mind you. As an adult, I made the connection that since her family was lower income, her dominating personality was a compensation for that. That way, no one could look down on her. Like y'all have mentioned as well, she's also just a kid, but there were some times that instead of her learning a lesson about bullying, she was just given a pass. Yeah, I think that was a big sticking point for us in the early episodes, and thankfully, they eventually got away from that aspect of her character. I don't know. I don't know if I so much. I I, I hear where you're coming from, Diana. But there wasn't a. I don't think there's a lot of, um, let's say textual support to the you know kind of coming from a lower income family influencing her personality. And I want to say that that's probably good because, um, I think something we've always said that we've enjoyed is that the different circumstances in which kids are raised are not necessarily shown as being better or worse. It's true. It's just kind of set dressing. For instance, in the episodes we watched this week, we learned that George is like rich. (laughs) Yeah. Has such a nice kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From a more well-to-do family. But I, I see where you're coming from, Diana. 
Honestly, I could list things for paragraphs. That's all I have to say for now. I really appreciate y'all's real love for public children's cartoons. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you might be the only one. PBS really had some quality programs in the 90s and early 2000s. In these lonelier times, it feels nice to, quote-unquote, hang out with like-minded individuals. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Diana. Nice to have you here. From Lion Dog ZXA, another of our great patrons, dear Will Lucas and Mike Damon, and Happy New Year. I'm so thrilled to see you finally reach the making of Arthur. When I first discovered your podcast, this was the episode I was the most excited for you to discuss. I have a soft spot for the episode for how it affected my life. A few years ago, a YouTube poop collab centered around this episode was announced. With me getting into the genre, I decided to join it. Doing so, I ended up making connections with the other participants of the collab, forming bonds that are still strong to this day. I even went on to assist the host of the collab with some of his later videos. If it wasn't for the bizarre episode about an aardvark Matt Damon, I wouldn't have explored my love for video editing or made the friends I have today. So keeping with the topic of video contests, have any of you ever entered one, and what were your submissions like? Have a wonderful day, and never eat lunch in this town again. Uh, by the way, Lion Dog ZXA, I checked out the YouTube poop collab, and it was pretty good. I'm a fan of YouTube poops, so uh, I, I was I had gonna a fun say time. if if you could post that in the Discord, I would love to see uh, Lion Dog ZXA's YouTube poop of this episode. That sounds incredible for sure. You know, Matt Damon getting the phone, and the, his his butler's like Matt Damon. It's the Koopa Koopa football players. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. They, they they have fun with that line in particular. Uh, video contest, short answer, no, because my family didn't have a video camera when I was growing up. I really wanted to, but uh, yeah, no, it's a no for me. What about you, Lucas? That's actually, it's oh, the emails are quite clairvoyant this week, because I was actually going to bring this up while we were watching the episode. Uh, one of the reasons I, spoilers, like the episode that we're going to talk about today is that I always have an affinity for things that kind of um, instill this idea of like do-it-yourself filmmaking making especially ah, yeah. in kids you know movies like super eight or uh particularly uh be kind rewind that just, I, <laughs> sure yeah yeah um i remember being younger and i saw be kind rewind and like me and my friends were like oh let's try and make like little movies with like video cameras and stuff so um i there's a local uh film festival youth film festival here called viewfinders yeah viewfinders. Um, and, I, and and i entered it a couple of times in fact i uh, me and my friends once made it to the shortlist of viewfinders and we did all sorts of things there was a uh back in the day me and, and my friend josh who uh uh has made you know some artwork for the show he's made some of the shirt designs on yeah, the teespring josh store um he uh by the way you go to the elwood city limits teespring store and you can buy elwood city limits t-shirts please uh, please please uh, but but yes josh who has now gone on to become a real life filmmaker um yeah. we used to make movies together all the time back in the day we made one with his guinea pig where his guinea pig was like running loose in a christmas village and we it was like kind of a Godzilla like kaiju sort of thing um, and then when we got older there was like kind of this like noir parody uh, that we that was the one that got us in the shortlist of the viewfinders film festival but so I always have kind of an affinity or a soft spot for uh, people kind of making super low budget uh, uh, DIY kind of movies and so uh, I, I really like that aspect to this episode and um, I, I like kind of anything that does that. Our next email comes from Emma. Hello, Will, Lucas, and Mike. My name is Emma, and I'm quite possibly one of our your youngest listeners. I'm 16 years old. Lucas, for God's sake, get, get let's straighten up the space a little bit. They're kids. They're kids listening to us. Okay, sit up, sit up straight. 
Okay. Fix, yes. fix your tie. Tuck in your shirt. Yes. Okay. I, I don't know how you knew I was slouching so uh, aggressively over uh, Skype, but it's true. My posture is in shambles. Okay. We have to set a good example here because I know there are there are chi- there are children listening to us. I'm sorry, Emma. I know you're 16. It's not. It, it, we're speaking of technicalities here. Okay. <clears throat> I need a more ergonomic chair or something like a DX racer. And that way I won't be so, you know, disheveled and, and unsightly. Uh, Emma says that Arthur has been in my life for as long as I can remember. I have a sister who is Will's age and a brother who is Lucas's age. Uh, and we all grew up watching Arthur. My brother and I got the most into it. I remember him being 16, the age I am now and us still watching it together after school. Uh, now I have a baby foster brother who we are planning on hopefully adopting. He's almost two and he already loves Arthur. Sometimes it's the only thing that prevents him from throwing fits. I'm actually working on an Arthur binder full of Arthur coloring sheets, some other printables from the website, anything I can find for my foster brother to enjoy when he gets a little bit older. I've been listening to your podcast since September and I'm finally caught up. It was awesome hearing all the quote-unquote hot news of years past along the way. Well, I'm so glad to be caught up so I can interact with you guys more. I have to admit, we'll miss finishing one episode and being able to go right to the next one without waiting. Yes, I just did that with the podcast as well, although it's uh, not about not about cartoons, it's about wrestling. Uh, so I know exactly how you feel, Emma. Thank you very much. I'm glad that you uh, reached out to us and uh, uh, we'll kind of we'll watch our, watch our language a little bit. At least... Uh, it's true. We're, we're not the number one family-friendly podcast in, in Halifax That's for nothing. exactly right. Our last email, and this is the big one. So, uh, Lucas, heads up. This is, this is from Blake. Uh, Blake has listened to every episode multiple times and finally did it, created the Elwood City Limits drinking game. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. It only took four and a half years. So, uh, okay, so I'll just explain here. Something ha- has been mentioned multiple times but now exists. Although not required alcohol, you could use orange juice. Either way, drink responsibly, and we agree with Blake. I will also I will also say... That's right. We just said we're family-friendly. Um, uh, Blake, I hope, I hope it's all right with you. I translated this, uh, like I read it multiple times and I laughed quite a bit. I translated this into a bingo card that I'll be putting on our social media this week. So if you, if you're not much of a drinker, uh, you can play Elwood City Limits Bingo the next time you listen. And, uh, I'll give you a preview because here are the, uh, here's the list. And, uh, I won't say, um... You know, I won't. I won't frame this in terms of drinks. I'll just put what uh, what Blake put here. Uh, Lucas, are you ready to have the podcast put into a context you never thought possible? Absolutely, I'm. I'm. I'm ready to go. All right. So here, here's the list of points. Will or Lucas don't know the episode. This doesn't happen all the time, but with our, especially with our talk recently about Monster Hunter. <laughs> That's that's going to be coming up more and more lately. <laughs> I was going to say, well, you are lucky that the coronavirus happened because I think Monster Hunter has been available to like buy from like the Cineplex website for thirty dollars for a minute now. And I'm not that I'm not I'm not that much of a sadist that I'm going to make you pay thirty dollars uh, to see Monster Hunter. But you best believe the second that that movie is streaming somewhere, me and you are going to have words. You hear me? Speaking of movies and theaters, actually, I think I might be committing to seeing uh, uh, Kong versus Godzilla next month in theaters. If it comes out here. I don't know if it will. Uh, Okay, we continue. The guys mention any other sport slash Lucas makes fun of the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Well, I did I make fun of the Toronto Maple Leafs all the time? I'm that's crazy. Sure that, I'm sure that it happens maybe around like Stanley Cup season, perhaps. I will say that that's that's come back again newly in my household. My uh, roommate's a Leafs fan, um, oh. and because of the way the bubble is working in the NHL, um, it is the Canadian teams all play each other exclusively now, um, and so mm-hmm. the Habs are playing the Leafs like. Uh, a bunch of times way more than usual in one season and so we've made an effort to keep track of and watch every single Habs Leafs game in the house so I'll make a note to make fun of the Toronto Maple Leafs as much as possible Lucas or Will zone out or seem disinterested in the episode now I want to make this clear if that happens it's a bad episode it doesn't mean that we're getting tired of doing it it's just that <laughs> we've man we've ran into a couple that weren't super inspiring but fair Will messes up the patron list. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Lucas can't do math. That's true. That's the, that's a couple drinks right there. Uh, Will or Lucas make an obscure film reference? Definitely happens now that we both have letterboxed. <laughs> Will or Lucas mention wrestling or Japanese wrestling? Will definitely happen as well. Will or Lucas praise Binky or disown Muffy, Brain, or Rubella? Listen, Rubella, uh, Rubella, you're not going to get any Rubella drinks out of me anymore. Rubella has been completely reformed. She's a new woman. That's a, it's a bit of a moving target. I could see that yeah. kind of uh, maybe maybe like praising certain characters and disowning yes. others. But it may change over time as as it has already. Uh, Will laughs before reading a sentence. <laughs> I def I definitely do that a lot. Uh, fair enough. It's just I don't know. I get so excited to read something funny. And uh, it just, I, it's hard to hold it in. Uh, Lucas mentions Pisces season. It is aquar- it's currently Aquarius season, by the way. Oh, you're th- we're this it's, close, uh, though. I, I'm, you, uh, you will have your card, your bingo cards in time for Pisces season. Don't yeah. worry about it. Aquarius season, I, I can feel my energy already starting to vibrate. You know, I'm more powerful because I'm in Aquarius season. Lucas says, any of these phrases, <clears throat> it's true. Oh, geez. Hmm. What? Uh, oh, my goodness. I will also add here, crazy. Hey, man, we all have our things that we default to. I have a bunch of them, too. You're, you just have a very memorable voice. You have, uh, you're, you're, you're an established character. Oh, geez. <laughs> Yo, see? <laughs> um, there's a throwaway character of the week. Take two shots if there isn't. Uh, Will doesn't understand rap music slash Lucas has to explain to him something. You, I think you could amalgamate this into Will doesn't understand young people. There's, uh, there's old rap music, but I, I agree. <laughs> old rap music for old people. Um, there's a word from us kids. Take two shots if there isn't. And uh, for this episode itself, every time Lucas or Will say the name Matt Damon. So that is Blake's list of the Elwood City Limits drinking game. Did I miss anything in thoughts? I think I was very, I'm very touched in a, in a strange way, Blake. It's funny to think about how we've been a show together for so long that eventually you can kind of turn the focus back in on ourselves. Uh, so I, I wasn't at, at times I kind of looked at the stuff that was made like me focused. I'm like, Oh my, Oh my God. Like I feel a little called out, but at the same time, it's just like, it's really nice that people pay close attention. This involved Blake listening to every episode multiple times. So that's a huge, that's a huge investment of their time and attention. So, um, I appreciate it. I think, and I think it's all in good fun. So, uh, if you want to feel free to use that, the Elwood city limits bingo card, um, 
original idea from uh, Blake will be coming your way to social media this coming week. Amazing stuff. I saw you tease this on Twitter as a top five of all time email. And I think this is this is really a great job by Blake here. Agreed. Okay, so before that's that's does it for our emails. Thanks, everybody. Again, it's ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. All right. So uh, normally this is where we read the Patreon names, but let's just get into I'm, I'm excited. I want to get into the making of Arthur here. And it's uh, definitely a bit of an odd start. Uh, Matt Damon is on the Casey Tulip show. Did you did you catch the reference here with this interviewer? No. So I originally I thought this was inside the actor's studio, uh, but looking up now it makes sense because casey tulip of course was a pbs show and you know they like to reference um even the adult pbs programs they've referenced nova in the past i think there's been carl sagan references in the Mm -hmm. past so this makes sense right so this is charlie rose the interviewer charlie rose who unfortunately is a pig on on arthur and a pig in real life go and look up his uh, allegations or don't if you're having a good day so yeah it's an interview show matt damon is talking about his new project postcards from you which is a parody of the same segment from the middle of this episode one minute videos about already, the life of kids I, I was, already i was intrigued by like the spirit of this episode because like they they parody like talk show small talk um yeah. fake charlie rose like asked matt david okay so you're gonna you have some big movie news to talk to us about or what's going on in, in hollywood and matt david's like oh, i prefer to ride my bike and there's like <laughs> cue the fake laughter and i thought it was very funny and there's also like uh thank you for joining me again on my show, Matt. Actually, this is the first time I've been on your show. Um, <laughs> this is also, I mean, this is a huge get for the sh- for Arthur. 2007, Matt Damon was post-Born Trilogy, so he's a bona fide movie star at this point, but he he looks like, you know, let's, let's talk about his character model a little bit. He looks a little, yeah. his, like his skin looks stretched back a little bit. He's very Ken Doll-esque in this role. Well, they always have this problem when they have celebrity guests where when you try to make an authorized version of them, it can be tricky because sometimes they literally just look like a generic person with animal ears. And sometimes they kind of get the likeness right. I think really the key is the hair. So, for instance, Matt Damon um, doesn't really have a very recognizable haircut, right? He just kind of has a white guy. Yeah, Yeah, he's just kind of a white guy. Whereas characters like, for instance, when they did Art Garfunkel, Art Garfunkel has that very stark, uh, he's got hair like me. He's got that big curly hair. So even though the moose itself didn't really look like Art Garfunkel at all, we recognized it because of the hair. Similarly, Mr. Rogers has other kind of recognizable traits. He's got the red sweater and they still gave him the the old kind of um, thinning hair a little bit, but also just, you know, the classic Mr. Rogers voice. So it mattered less what he looked like. Matt Damon, the challenges he has kind of, like you said, just this generic white guy look um and so it's hard to make an authorized version that makes him recognizable um it reminded me of kind of the character designs they did for the backstreet boys uh in their guest episode yeah i think i think you're right on the money there uh yeah so that's the idea arthur is inspired by this interview i don't know why he's watching you know the charlie rose type show but whatever he's watching it with grandma thora so that must have been what she wanted to watch so one minute videos about their life arthur decides he wants to do one about pal and we have an early scene here where kind of everybody's talking about what they want to do. Muffy's casting for one that we will talk about later. Buster wants to make a documentary about Arthur and brain decides he wants to make a video about the human sneeze and what makes it interesting. So we kind of go to Arthur's one first uh, where DW is trying to feed pal 
lettuce. So DW decides to help Arthur by dressing up as a fairy. At one point, uh, her name is the Sprinkle Fairy, but it's like a different, like a the Glitter Fairy. Uh, she calls herself at one point uh, and she's trying to feed pal lettuce because uh, he eats apparently eats too much meat. So he needs to get some vegetables in there. Right. Which, uh, you know, it's funny. Pal reacts to the lettuce the same way my parents dog reacts to when they try to feed him vegetables, which is they look, will mix it around, put a little cauliflower in his kibble. Uh, and what he tends to do is he'll eat around it. Right. So he'll eat everything else in the bowl except for the vegetables in question. And, and Pal is not too keen to eat these this lettuce. He kind of sniffs it and then walks back into his dog. Yeah. House. And it eventually chases away a squirrel that gets at it. I, it reminds me of those types of people that's just like, oh, my dog, my I want my dog to be vegetarian. So I'm just going to feed him vegetables mm-hmm. and just like, no, 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 mm-hmm. don't do that. That's if they were meant to <laughs> yeah. be vegetarian, they'd be vegetarians in the wild, but they're not. Um, so that doesn't really work out. So DW pitches her own show that they can film a magic show with the great Nadini, which, uh, you know, doesn't exactly work on camera because Nadine is invisible and DW is basically describing all of the stuff that she's doing. Although Buster's this answered uh, this answered the big question I had last week uh, when we were talking about, you know, we had this whole subplot of DW's finally growing out of Nadine. You know, she's getting older, uh, even though the characters are always the same age. And so we might see less of Nadine going forward. Uh, This kind of answered that question, which is not really they're they're not going to stick to that. And Nadine will keep showing up, though. The implications of where this episode takes place in the canon Mm. um, kind of gives the (laughs) a little bit of leeway here this could you know depending on how you look at it be the first arthur episode canonically though pal is here too so the the canon is a little bit messy this is a little i i I would go as far as to say that this turns out to be a retcon um big time but yeah i i feel like they're not gonna stick with uh the DW growing out of Nadine subplot. We also get another Snooter cameo here. Speaking of DW's imaginary friends, a lot more Snooter in the most recent episodes than I figured we'd see. Uh, I always laugh when they, they use like the scene transition where like Snooter flies across the screen and makes like a pig noise. Uh, It reminds me of some of the noises in like those Jackbox games. Like when you lock in your answer (laughs) and there'll be like a funny noise, like a fart or a pig squeal, something about a pig squeal. It always makes me laugh. Hi, Def. (laughs) <laughs> yeah all kind of stuff um the next one we see is george uh again you kind of mentioned george's nice house he's a very nice garage and he's doing this this old dollhouse a parody of this old house another pbs show um we uh we get a confirmation oh, and, yeah. and, and and sorry yeah the, I, I you might we're about to bring up the same thing which is that this might be either it's confirming or it might be the first time we hear that george's last name is lundgren, lundgren yes uh, which is, you know, kind of an unusual last name. It makes me wonder any any uh, relation to Dolph D- is perhaps George uh, someday going to be in one of those direct to DVD Universal Soldier sequels because <laughs> they can't get the original Dolph Lundgren. Like, who knows? Oh, I would love it if Dolph Lundgren showed up on Arthur. Like, that's the level of celebrity where it's like people know who they are. Parents know who they are. But it's just like, why would, why would, maybe he's like doing a karate tournament with Sue and just like, you gotta break the boards this way. I don't, I don't have a Dolph Lundgren. So I, I, I need to, I need to hear Dolph Lundgren again to kind of hear what he sounds like. Listen, Dolph Lundgren's too busy getting like master's degrees in chemical engineering yeah, to, really uh, to be on Arthur. Way too, way too smart. Um, and we also get another cameo. So he's fixing Visita's dollhouse for Raulito, who was just in a recent episode. Uh, Visita's uh, bedtime uh, stuffed llama that she uses. And uh, she quickly 
uh, objects to this because she doesn't want George to uh, try and fix the dollhouse uh, because it will involve breaking it to a degree. Um, we get a little cameo here from Dad Reed. He is doing some baking. He's making a lighter-than-air chocolate souffle, which... Tell me more about this. <laughs> Normally, we're used to seeing Dad Reed have like like really kooky recipes. This one actually sounds pretty good. Chocolate souffle. And this is where I was confused. DW comes in and puts sprinkles on the top of the souffle, which immediately deflates it. And uh, Dad says, oh, thanks, Sprinkle Fairy. So that's that's the one that's stuck in my head. <laughs> Eventually, we do get to find out what Muffy's one is. And this... Well, for I can't believe we're just getting to it now. She is making she is making a production called Muffy the Vampire Slayer. Or no no, Muffy the Umpire, the Umpire Slayer. Slayer. Sorry. That's right because it's it's a vampire baseball team. Um, we did it everybody. Hey, we did it. <laughs> Woo! Took us a decade to get there. <laughs> But yeah, no, Buffy, Buffy the Umpire Slayer. Um, and already I was like laughing at just the name, but I, much to my surprise, we actually see what this movie looks like later on in the well, episode. Yeah. And I'm so excited to talk well, about it. Well, why don't we it. talk about it now? Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, the, the idea is she's an umpire slayer, so she's wearing the baseball uniform and Francine is in as Vladimir the umpire. So she's got like the umpire's uniform on with the Dracula cape and like the vampire makeup and Muffy dispatches Vladimir the umpire with her gold credit card that reflects the yes. sunlight. <laughs> Uh, and the implication here is because later on we see Matt Damon watching Muffy's movie is that Muffy went all out with like a full on like she had production assistants and CGI and yeah, she was yeah. able to kind of self fund this whole project. Right. She went all overboard for it. This is uh, Arthur has a conversation with her as she's dropping off her uh, submission into the mailbox. And this is where Arthur gets a little bit. uh uh, self-conscious, of course, oh, as is oh, his way. Also, yeah. yeah, Muffy's also trying to to game the system, right? She she talks about uh t- to Bailey. Uh, you included one for Matt's cat stylist, right? So she's already she's got all these connections, and she's gonna give Matt's Matt David's cat stylist a uh, a copy of the film. She knows she um, knows what pal- which palms to grease, man. And as we later true. find out, they are the crosswires have. At least a little bit of an in. So this leads to Arthur being very self-conscious and we have an imagination sequence here. I was glad that we got, I, I figured it might have been like Matt Damon is in at the beginning and end. No, we actually get like a sequence and he gets to be a little funny. This is Arthur imagining uh, Matt Damon at like his, you know, his condo or whatever. And he's on the phone with some movie producer and the line here, Moby Dick, sure I'll do it, but I want 100% of the back end. And I want to be the whale. I just, I, I really liked. <laughs> that was very funny. I really liked the back end as as a reference there. Also, 100% the back end. He's going to make a killing off this Moby Dick movie. Um, also, yeah. uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, Matt Damon's physique, perhaps a little bit exaggerated Dude. in this representation. I, I don't know what we thought of Matt Damon. <laughs> you know, what was the cultural consensus around Matt Damon in 2007? You know, he was kind of an action star in the Bourne movies. Uh, but this is far out away a different Matt Damon than like, you know. Uh, the crazy scientist from The Martian. You know what I mean? Like this physique, he's so diesel here. Well, it's so unsettling. He looks like an action figure. And later on, you see him hey, in like, he's got these you see him in the t- trap muscles, you, you, like he's Goldberg. You see, you see him in the t-shirt later and he's like, it's like the muscles are just 
straining against the cloth. It's so weird. Yeah, no, I feel like even in the Bourne years, Matt Damon never looked like this. This is closer to something like The Rock's physique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a little bit of a smaller version of The Rock. Matt's like PA comes in or something and uh, (laughs) says that Arthur Reed is on the phone. Just like, who? Or no, actually, Matt remembers exactly who Arthur Reed is. Uh, and he's like, oh, that kid that sent me in that tape? He's terrible. Tell him he'll never eat lunch in this city again. And then the PA says he's from Elwood City. And Matt's like, oh, well, tell him he can't eat lunch there either, which is like kind of funny. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. But then the imagination goes just a little bit further where it goes to Arthur in line at at school. It's Mrs. McGrady is serving lunch. Mrs. McGrady gets a cell phone call from presumably Matt Damon who instructs her not to feed Arthur lunch and he doesn't get lunch. No, yeah, this was this got the hardiest laugh out of me of the anything in the episode. This is so funny. Like the implication of he can't eat lunch is taken literally. It's not only that Arthur, you know, won't be able to find work so he won't be able to feed himself. It's that he is being you know, they're they're starving him to death, basically, uh, as punishment for giving such a bad idea to Matt Damon. It's a very uh, childish view of the, uh, you know, you'll never work in this town again uh, kind of thing. I'm, I'm not familiar with you'll never eat lunch in this town again, but whatever. I assume this is what an eight-year-old might conjure up if he thought of it. So Arthur really wants to make a great a great video. So he decides to make one that is stop motion. He uh, makes uh, basically a chocolate souffle making itself, uh, which he has to explain to DW exactly how it works. And I thought it was a neat idea. And <laughs> see, Oh, there you go. There's another one for your bingo card. I'm laughing before saying the line. Um, Arthur eventually is like editing together. Um, like Buster kind of explains the concept of editing to DW as they're filming their stuff. And Arthur's editing together his stop motion uh, video and he kind of looks at it. It's all done. And he's like, it'll have to do. And I'm just like, I've been there, man. Sometimes you just need to get a project out the door. It doesn't matter if it's perfect or not. Just like the, yeah, all right, fine. It's it'll, it'll also do. does Arthur have like final cut on the family computer? We get a quick look earlier in the episode of the nonlinear editing timeline. Mm. Um, and it looks like, you know, he's mixing audio. He's it, it looks a little bit more complex than uh, um, Windows Movie Maker. And I know it's not an Apple computer. So I wonder, you know, is Final Cut Pro, Adobe Premiere. What's Arthur editing? Maybe with? maybe uh, would, would iMovie exist in 2007? Probably, right? It's true. But I don't know if you could use iMovie on a PC. Oh, he's on a PC. Um, yeah. Well, I was using Windows Movie Maker in 2007, so that would be my guess. But uh, who knows? I, I don't know. I feel I looked a little bit more professional. I don't know. Mm. I don't. Know. Some of those editing softwares, as you and I well know, can cost you quite a bit. So unless somebody besides Arthur is using it, mm, <laughs> question mark? Question mark? Um, Arthur makes the classic mistake that every editor, including myself, has made. Uh, and accidentally deletes his work, and uh, it's all gone. In fact, when the message comes up, like, would you like to delete this? Did you notice this? It's the Game Boy start screen noise. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that at all. That's hilarious. It's the exact beep. So Arthur is beside himself, as we all are when that happens. And Buster calls him because he needs help editing down, like, 75 minutes of footage into one. So he and Arthur eventually collab together on what we we never really see the final product but it's assumedly buster's documentary of arthur's life um and as they deliver so there you go another laugh uh as they deliver the video buster assured uh, reassures arthur and says hey if they put mary mukau on tv why not you 
And this leads to Matt Damon screening all of the entries in his, you know, private screening room with his PA, the same one from Arthur's Imagination. This is where we get the comment from Matt. This is where we finally see Muffy the Empire Slayer. And Matt's like, <laughs> Matt's like, geez, are these really what these kids are making these days? Dude, I, I and listen, solidarity with Matt Damon here. He's talking like me, where I'm like, what happened to the when cinema was real? Well, I can't relate to any of this. It's CGI nonsense. So, <laughs> uh, um, I, I I think he's got razor sharp instincts here. Uh, and then he of course watches the movie that Arthur submitted and. Well, then we see but Matt Damon show up to Arthur's house. You're right. We do also get a reference here that apparently one of Matt Damon's like relatives bought a was sold a car by Crosswire Motors that turned out to be a real lemon. So uh, Matt Damon already knows who the Crosswires are. But yes, he watches this uh, movie that is basically called by Buster like uh, Arthur, his sister, and his friends. And then this leads to Matt Damon coming knocking to Arthur's door. Now. I found it interesting DW recognized Matt Damon, uh, but Arthur, of course, does, and he's very excited. He thinks that he's won, but Matt Damon cuts him off. He's like, actually, no, you didn't win. We chose some kid named George, but... <laughs> George Lundgren. He's like, some kid named George Lundgren <laughs> didn't win. <laughs> so, um, by the way, I mentioned this earlier. Um, a couple questions about Matt Damon's shirt. First of all, it looks like it looks like the Capitol building. Like, is it a is it a get out the vote shirt or something? Let me look at this again. So, it's, so yeah, it's, it does it's, look it's like a, the it's Capitol a ba- building. It's a baseball shirt. It's white with blue sleeves, and then it's got the Capitol building in red in a red circle. And it's just like, is this meant to be like get out and vote 2008 maybe or 2007? Good, good instincts. Well, I have no idea what this is supposed to be. I thought it was like that Russian palace for a second. Oh, the Kremlin? Um, yeah, the Kremlin. <laughs> but no, looking at it again, it is indeed the Capitol building. I have no idea. That's a good question. If anybody is familiar with the shirt, I'd really like to know. It seems like something, it seems like a design that was so specific that Matt Damon might have, like, I don't know what he was doing in 2007. Maybe he had some kind of a charity for voters' rights or something. If anybody knows more about this shirt, please let us know. By the way, you think Matt Damon wears t-shirts? shirts tucked into his pants like that's uh i mean that's a choice hey it's the stone cold look (laughs) well can't go wrong with that um arthur uh is a little bit dejected but then matt damon admits that he loved arthur's submission and then just like out of the blue like matt damon's not even been invited into his home he asks arthur if matt damon's film crew can make a television (laughs) show about his life about arthur's life not no, not a pen is put to paper. Arthur has signed nothing, and they're immediately shooting. I don't know if they've got a permit from the city to shoot on Arthur's property, but it's like, Arthur, why don't you get out there, run on the sidewalk with your dog? That'll be the, the first shot we get today. And so it's like, Arthur does not even know if he's getting paid. No. His parents had to, haven't agreed to anything. We're just fly by night doing this. And then the big reveal, yeah. the huge twist of this episode, uh-huh. the first shot you have ever seen in any episode of Arthur, the iconic... Every, Every day, day when you're walking down, down, the, street. down the street, yeah, Arthur running down. He's, it's actually I've just realized, Will. He's actually running down the street. Yeah, it's now more of a we, trot. We really it's look at it. It's more of a yeah. Anyway, he's going down the street with Paul and pal, and uh, <laughs> it the whole reason the TV show Arthur exists is because Matt Damon was so into his like one minute submission, which be, even further, you know, complicates things because. The characters of Arthur are technically now aware that they're on a TV show. It's like something like The Office or Parks and Rec or something where it's actually like a mockumentary because 
the characters of Arthur know that they're on a TV show. It's so the implications of this are so wild. First, yeah. First of all, what the f- <laughs> are you? What this is like? Okay, I knew that this episode it was the Matt Damon episode, and it was like some form of meta commentary on the show. That's all I had. But then you, the, the literal end of the episode, it's like this, and then special guest star Matt Damon. It's the beginning of the theme song. The yeah, impl- it's true. I yeah. mean, you've gone over the implications already, but meaning to suggest that this entire television show, the whole time, back in back to 1996. Before before he got a an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon was in the tank for Arthur. He was always lurking behind the camera. Oh, that's true. the The real life timeline, if we take the real life timeline into account, oh my goodness, you're right. This would have been before Matt Damon was discovered as an actor. This would have. This is okay. Wait a minute. Or, now I'm really or, confused. Or, or the the very first episode of Arthur, like Arthur's eyes. Was in two thousand like it it aired in real life in nineteen ninety six, but it was set in two thousand seven. Oh wow! So by now, is, like my head is spinning. This is like primer. So by now, like the new episodes of Arthur that are airing in twenty twenty one would be uh, would, in the would be airing in like twenty thirty one or twenty thirty. <sighs> this is it's it's a lot. This is, this, and then this, also, this is heavy talk. I, I, I know, I t- and I talked earlier about the PAL paradox, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, who was filming the episodes pre-PAL? Right, because if they've all been a TV show, then how did we get to the times when it wasn't a TV show? How did we do all those flashbacks to when Arthur was a kid or when he was in second grade? That's true. Did, are they filming the imagination sequences? Like when Arthur is getting attacked by the log arm of the law, is that like a special effect? And did they have, did they get like guest directors for that? Like, did they have? Did he actually get digested by a giant clam? Like, did they have to get to a, like did they do that through effects houses? Did George Lucas guest direct something? Did Spielberg? Did Spielberg have a hand in this? Yeah, where, this what's is, Art Garfunkel's role in all of this? This is this is this is unbelievable. I couldn't, and it's not even that, like what it's positing. It's not even. What it's putting forth, it's the fact that the episode just slams to the end. Like, we're done. There's no there's no dwelling on it it's at all. Tr- it's true. I, I We don't even, like, see, like, the implications of George winning the contest. No. That is quite literally in the episode an afterthought. Like, not even Matt Damon cares. It's just that he had the idea for the Arthur show. Right. And, like, if they were going to make it into a show, why not just have Arthur win? I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh god i don't know <laughs> snake you've created a time paradox well well listen i know that you know this is a lot a lot to take in it's there's a lot of implications with the arthur timeline it's a little confusing so why don't we transition into something that's really easy to understand and not at all nonsensical and that is postcards from you uh a word for, but first a word from us right uh let's do postcards from you first oh okay let's do postcards from you uh Postcards from you. It's been a minute. Yeah, we, we saw like the first episode of Postcards from You, but then we've had a couple episodes where they weren't in the episode we were watching. Yeah, we've been kind of um, we've been kind of um, Wild West surfing. That doesn't make sense, but go with it. Wild West surfing around uh, to uh, different means of watching these episodes, and so this one we had was a very 
full episode file that included the postcards from you segment. The first one, there's we go to two groups of kids. The first one are the kids at the Delano School in Memphis, Tennessee. And they talk about, this is kind of a weird angle. So uh, I was being facetious earlier when I was talking about how Postcards Review is easy to understand. So we, we we go to Memphis, Tennessee, and they're talking about celebs. You yes. know, B.B. King was from here, Beale Street, you know, home of the music. Um, and the way they kind of uh, show this is that they're like, yeah, and the celebs, when they come into town, they always stay at this fancy hotel. And then they're like talking to the guy who runs the hotel, and they're like, yeah, what's it like to have a celebrity? He's, he's credited as Jason uh, and, and Jason's like yeah it's always great when celebrities are here because everybody wants to see them and then take pictures and then we see uh, which something that's listed as a quote unquote celebrity elevator and then the celebrity elevator opens and a bunch of ducks come out and there's no other context that's just the end and, of that and there's, and there's a red carpet for the ducks to the indoor duck pond that they have then, yeah, but you're right There's it's just like what's what's happening what's with the ducks but no time to think about it. It's time to go to the kids at the Boys and Girls Club in Lewiston, Ohio. Or, sorry, okay. Lewiston, Idaho. So so the Lewiston, Idaho one, <laughs> I thought we were, okay, I was like, okay, this one's going to be a little bit more grounded. So it's like this girl's talking about, you know, Lewiston, Idaho. It's where Lewis and Clark were, you know, they, they stopped on their big journey and they met Sacagawea and all that stuff. Yeah. And the way they illustrate, and now we're going to do a reenactment, and the way they go back in time... <laughs> is these these two kids are skate by and then one of them hits by the way one of them hits a clean kickflip <laughs> like clean and this kid must have been so stoked that they got the and they go in it goes black and white and slow motion <laughs> And this kid, the, this kickflip will was so clean that it transported them back in time. And then we get a bunch of kids in brown face. No, I'm just kidding. They are pretending <laughs> to be Native Americans. Some questionable uh, casting is what I put yeah, down. Yeah, I, I also put this is some questionable can- casting. Are these kids canceled? But you can't cancel them, <laughs> Will, because they're... they're uh, and also the kid who's playing Chief Twisted Hair is really into it, too. He's really given it his all. Uh, but yeah, they're basically, you know, reenacting these these historical scenes of Lewis and Clark and, and all that kind of stuff. But I had trouble focusing from this point, basically, because I was still in awe of that kid just putting like it's such a like a little kid thing of like hey what's the angle for this like how are we gonna get this postcard in this arthur episode it's like oh we'll make it educational we'll make it about our town and it's like yeah but also i could do a kickflip <laughs> it was um definitely not what i expected i also i didn't know that I, about I, Lucifer, I, I left the room and i grabbed my roommate I was like, you got to see this. This is appointment television right here. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah. So from that, the not often visited postcards from you, we are going to have a word from us. And then we'll get back to the second half of this episode after we take some time to decompress about the the life-changing Arthur episode we just watched. This podcast is supported by listeners like you, and here's how. Over on our social networks, you can follow us and find the latest updates and some fun photos. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, and Elwood City Limits on Instagram. You can support us monetarily by going over to Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive audio content like our new PBS Kids show, movie reviews, and sneak previews of upcoming content. 
Support us as well by going to teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood city limits store or search Elwood City Limits on Teespring. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a tank top, or a hoodie with the Elwood City Limits logo or an exclusive design by our friend Josh. Elwood City Limits is available online at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits where you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. Is it not on your favorite app? Let us know. And you can always help us by spreading the word, tell your friends, and send us a message either on social media or an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Dancing Fools! It's not Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. It's a different pair here. Uh, As we get into the episode, uh, Arthur is talking about sometimes two people can accomplish something better than if they did it alone. So, for example, much like Lewiston, Idaho would know, uh, Lewis and Clark. Uh, If Lewis and Clark did not do their their journey together, they wouldn't have... um, uh, I okay. I, I'll I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about Lewis and Clark. They discovered they went deep into America. What did Lewis and Clark discover? The Mississippi, Lewis and Clark. What are they? What are they? I, I'm gonna figure this out. Well, no, the, no. The the Mississippi was John was John Nicolay. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Found, oh, no. the, people had already found. Oh wait, no, yeah, that right. He didn't even. No, no, it was the Mississippi that John Nicolay found. But people had already found it already. He they found John Nicolay was wrong. He was he was wrong. Uh, the United States expedition across the newly acquired western portion of the country after the Louisiana Purchase. So they were exploring the part of the states that America bought from Napoleon. Oh, all right. See, kids, this is we we absolutely don't learn Lewis and Clark in school. I remember the first time I heard Lewis and Clark, I thought they were talking about Lois and Clark, as in the New Adventures of Superman. Uh, so I was very confused. <laughs> um, uh, this makes the question though. I wonder they must have these. Uh, 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 you know, a postcard from Euclips. They must have have them all collected, and then they kind of allocate them to whatever episode it seems most appro- appropriate to like match them with, right? Like, I mean, uh, they must have been like, "Oh, there's there's a Lewis and Clark bit in this one, so why don't we just put it with this episode that starts with a Lewis and Clark thing?" I mean, it seems reasonable. Uh, I I would imagine that you're probably not too far off from that because it's it's uh, really convenient that they went from the place where Lewis and Lewis and Clark were from to. Uh, yeah, to this Lewis and Clark bit. But yeah, of course, uh, Lewis nor Clark could not have done it uh, by themselves. And uh, Arthur uh, is talking about how he and Buster are a great double act, how Arthur is great at setting up Buster's punchlines. He's his, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, if, if Buster is Jordan, then Arthur's Scottie Pippen in the comedy game. Exactly. Their their big joke that they illustrate this with is, uh, who you calling Krabby, shrimp? <laughs> And then, much like uh, much like a pair of best friends, they kill themselves laughing, and nobody else cares. Uh, so yeah, the idea of uh, two people doing something better than one. The idea for this episode is that Muffy signs up Francine for dance lessons at the community center against okay, her knowledge. Well, big, 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 yeah, big question. Can you do this? Can you just side up people for things at the community center without um, their consent? I think so. I think that like if feel like this might be, maybe it's a bygone thing, but I feel like at some point when you would be signing people up for something at a community center, you could be like, yeah, me and my friend will take this. And normally just like, here's their name and phone number or name and email address. So that that didn't really seem all that unusual to me as much as, you know, taking things at the community center is these days. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so Muffy signed Francine up for dance lessons at the community center. This was in exchange for such things as letting Francine take Muffy's place in the lunch line and lending Francine three dollars. So she's doing, which has accrued uh, twenty-two dollars worth of interest, mm-hmm. by the way. So Francine would rather pay it back, but Muffy just really wants a friend to take part in the dance lessons so that she won't be by herself. Francine. Obviously not interested. Dance isn't really her thing. Uh, the dance class being taught by Mrs. Molina, uh, Vasita's mother, which actually, it, it took me a while. I was like, Mrs. Molina, hmm, where do I know that name? Yeah, like, <laughs> so I do the Arthur podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Even I can't remember, but I did I did eventually get it. Um, so their first dance class, Francine is really not interested and ends up getting paired with George against against her will. Uh, Which, by the way, Muffy's like, oh, yeah, I need someone I know to be in this class with me. Half of Elwood City's in here. We got George. We got, like, DW and a Tibble Twin. Both Tibble Twins, I think. And yeah, there's a bunch of people Muffy knows. What's more, we get a confirmed name for a longtime Arthur background character. This this person's been around since season one. So it's the brown bear kid. He's uh, they've, He's got dark hair and a tan sweater, like a really like a cream colored turtleneck sweater. His name is Otis. So much. Oh, is that the character with the glasses? Yes. Who goes, yes. Uh, he complains that uh, uh, someone's like stepping on his feet or something or. Yeah. Or something like that. Anyway, I, I was going to mark him down as. Oh, yeah. I, he goes, I thought I was supposed to lead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Muffy says that cross wires never follow. But um. I, I was going to mark him as throwaway character of the week. I didn't realize that we had seen him before. couple fit checks in this episode. The first one, DW's pink sweats. Yes. Hot Very pink. good. I, everybody's got the headbands. I'm a big fan of the like classic old tennis style uh, athletic headband. Uh, I, the 80s aerobics outfits. Everybody's looking great in this episode. So, of course, we know that George is a bit more of a meek character. Francine a little bit more forceful. And they don't really have a relationship together. But in doing this kind of box trot or box shuffle, they end up actually doing really well together. They are the basically the only pair that doesn't step on each other's toes. And DW takes notice of it and ends up telling Arthur off screen. And so Arthur kind of says that to them the next day in the cafeteria. Um, George very much not into being advertised that he's good at dancing. And Francine neither. They're just like, yeah, we did good, but it's, you know, not, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Um George eventually runs across Binky on the Tough Customers' Jungle Gym, and Binky threatens him. Like, (laughs) it's just like, Binky is just like, it's like, hey, doofus, you go to dance class? No, tell me about it. Like, Binky, (laughs) like, he starts threatening him, and eventually it's just like, no, I want to hear about it. Uh, Because he's he's secretly, of course, Binky is the most experienced in dance of any of the kids. And... George mentions to him like well there's more there's more spots in there so you can sign up if you want to and then the next scene Binky is there in his ballet like um, leotard leotard, and he's just like yeah my mom is punishing me by making me go to this dance class Binky continues to be absolutely incredible king status he's so good uh yeah this whole bit of Binky showing up to the dance class and then like we get this this kind of sequence where Buffy tries to dance with George but they don't have the same dancing chemistry yeah uh which leaves Binky to dance with Francine but he's not even dancing with her he's just doing his ballet stuff yeah exactly and he's he's uh doesn't really he, he doesn't really jibe with the whole uh uh, team dancing kind of thing. He's very accomplished at dancing on his own, much like Robin. So uh, D- Binky and 
uh, Muffy can't really find a good partnership together, but uh, George and Francine are doing so well that Mrs. Molina recommends them for a local dance contest to win the Fred and Ginger Award, which is a very nice golden trophy, of course, for uh, um, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, the classic Hollywood dance pair. There have been some much older movies, but their dancing is very, very impressive still. Uh, this leaves, uh, I almost said Buffy and Minky, <laughs> Muffy and Binky, very jealous at their dancing skill together and Muffy at being left out in the cold because she originally wanted to be partners <laughs> with Francine. Yeah, this is great because th- th- this is one a pair we don't see work together that often, right? We don't we we've seen uh, uh, all these different matchups. I've never seen a, a Binky and Muffy team up, uh, and furthermore, th- they both have like. Buffy, you could kind of see the arc of why she would be mad about this. She's like, oh, you know, I really just wanted to dance with Francine, and now I'm bitter about this whole thing. Binky's motivation for trying to, like, sabotage George's success is so funny. He just wants to be, like, known to be the best one at dancing, but also he doesn't want to be known as the dancer. (laughs) So it's like, Binky comes off as, like, so weird. And then later on when we see, this is kind of a, we haven't seen Binky be a bully in a very long time it's almost jarring at this point yeah this is classic evil binky even though it's still the old binky we know and love deep down because it's about dancing of all things but we get some classic evil binky bullying here we do and uh with a little bit of a new spin because binky meets george in an alleyway alleyway and okay this is the fit check of fit checks here yes he's dressed like a crazed like a street gang member from like death proof or something or 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 death wish rather what's what's that what's that um what's what's that like 80s throwback movie kung fury kung fury oh kung fury he he definitely it's just like 80s like headband like 80s street guy like uh uh yeah the yeah any of the references we just made uh he looks incredible he's got a boom box and his plan it makes so little sense he just kind of dances at george in like a flash dance style routine yeah yeah to try to intimidate him into dropping out of the dance contest so and George just kind of walks away like he does not know what to make of this at all while Binky's trying to catch his breath. Muffy's a little bit more successful. Um, she tries to extort Francine into leaving the dance competition by giving her uh, tickets for a hockey game on the same night that has potential championship implications. So eventually Francine kind of hems and haws, but decides initially to give up their spot in the dance competition. She goes over to, as you mentioned before, George's beautiful house. Yes, George has, I wish I had George's kitchen. He's got a kitchen island. Uh, He's got an incredible setup. Damn straight. Um, So George is very, of course, he's a very placid kind of guy. He's just like, oh, well, okay. It's too bad. I kind of thought we were pretty good. And Francine is still pretty on the fence about this. She really wants to go to the hockey game. and she. But because George is so placid, she almost has to convince herself of like, yeah, we were pretty good, weren't we? Do you, do you think we could win if we'd have done this? I think we could have won. Let's do it. So it's, you know, a real turn on the dime kind of thing. But eventually they do make it to the dance competition. Now, um, I thought it was interesting when we cut to the dance competition and the first people we see dancing, Mr. Ratburn and Miss Turner doing the tango. Very interesting. I like that pair. And uh, especially especially as dance partners. Um at first I was like, are they really judging like 
Mr. Ratburn and Miss Turner against George and Francine, but no, they're George and Francine are in like an age group of their own. So I thought that that was going to be incredibly unfair at first. Uh, Binky and Muffy get a front row seat and are the they're common hating. They're they are not going to be uh, happy about this at all. But as soon as Francine and George, they have a very nice like George is all black, Francine with a black dress, and they get down to dancing and they actually kind of kick ass at it. And as they do their routine, they end up swaying Binky and Muffy. Binky goes from jeering George and taunting him to get him to fail, and eventually he's like, he's like, stick, like stick your leg out, George. Remember, like, <laughs> like strength, strength. You want to proje- project? It was, it was actually really cute. Unfortunately, Francine and George do not win. I also, I, I didn't know exactly where to put this. This is reminds me a lot of an episode of Community where Troy and Britta. Um, ended up being dance partners together and had to hide it from uh, the group, and they dance in, like, all black as well. So I just wanted to put that out there. I, it's funny. I, I, I don't think there's any necessarily cross-reference going on there, but it's funny. Two, two great shows think alike. Um, so the pair of Carl and Jesse win, who are, like, <laughs> nobody, I guess. Uh, and they have like a salsa routine. They're in a completely different category of dance. Yeah, uh, Jesse looks like she's playing Carmen Miranda, but uh, yeah, they don't win. And Muffy and Binky are very upset and like basically booing the decision. The end of the episode, we even hear Binky outside being like, "That was one of the greatest things I've seen in years." And it's like, Binky, you're eight. <laughs> Like, what have you seen? So they get the second place medal. It's kind of too bad. I mean. I imagine that this probably won't go anywhere after this, like either of them being good dancers together or will inform a friendship. So it was just like, oh, well, that was nice, but I guess we have to go back to normal now. I mean, it remains to be seen, right? Like maybe it'll be, it, it could either go the way of DW growing out of Nadine or it could go the way of uh, when we first got introduced to Binky's dancing mm-hmm. uh, acumen. So we'll, we'll see if they build on this going forward. One can only hope. And, uh, you know, Muffy is uh, apologetic. She is saying that Francine was great. And uh, now they can, uh, Muffy signs Francine up for an introduction to fashion class so that next time she goes into the dance competition, she can have uh, a dress that's even prettier. And Francine's kind of mad at her, but still smiling at her second place medal win with George. Okay. Um, geez, the making of Arthur. How do you even, like, Talk about this episode in terms of quality. I mean, Lucas, well, you, you okay. seem pretty positive on it. Yeah, I will say, even removed from the crazy ending, that's like this crazy like M. Night Shyamalan twist, probably the uh, biggest shift we've had in kind of the way we see this show. If I may, it's, um, it's, like, the, it's like the fourth Final Destination movie, which puts the entire series yes, in a different yes. context. That's a very, that's a very, very good comparison. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I will say that, you know, even up until that point, I thought this was a fun episode. It had me laughing. It was really funny. I think it was a really good use of the Matt Damon guest cameo, which was, you know, wasn't too sparing use of Matt Damon. And it also wasn't overloading us with Matt Damon. Um, and also, like I was saying at the top of the episode, I really enjoy kind of, this is the type of episode where, you know, if I had seen it when I was a little kid, I would have been expired to pick up a camera. I love stuff like this. That's all about, you know, kids. Uh, working with what they have to make movies, uh, you know, whether it's something like this, 
this, whether it's like Be Kind Rewind or Super 8 or even like De uh, Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez. Anything that's <laughs> inspiring people to kind of get creative with their low budget filmmaking. I, I always think that's really fun. But I also think it was a well done episode. I think uh, the ending puts like a really crazy cap on everything that comes before it. Right. Um, but it's a really funny episode. You know, Muffy, the Umpire Slayer is really funny. Um, Buster's funny throughout. Uh, the opening with Matt Damon is well done. Um, and they, there's enough different stuff going on. It's kind of an ensemble, but it's kind of focused on Arthur. Um, and I thought it was, I was well done, but not much else to say besides that. What about you, Will? It almost couldn't not be one of the most notable episodes of the season with, with the backing of Matt Damon and everything. I, I still think it's, it's wild. Like the, the guest stars, yeah, yeah. because we go from like the car talk guys to Matt Damon and just like the it's true a year after the departed won the Oscar. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So Oscar, like at least Oscar, I think probably Oscar nominee Matt Damon at this point. It well and, and winner because of like goodwill hunting, as I mentioned before. Um, but yeah, it's just, wow. I, <laughs> I, I, I guess that sounds like I was amazed by the episode. I think the episode, if it didn't have the thing, the most notable things in it might just be pretty good. I, I, I wasn't quite as taken with the whole, you know, video contest thing, but I thought it was a fun idea. I always liked seeing the kids' personalities manifest themselves in different ways. And you could see what each one is going to do. Um, in terms of, you know, how they respond to a prompt, essentially. But then you put in Matt Damon, and you're immediately like, okay, what is this? What's going on? And then you just, I would love to talk to some, to talk to the writer of this episode about the decision to, I'll say imply that, you know, imply the implications that we talked about before about what the episode means. I'm sure they weren't thinking about it too hard is my thing. Yeah, oh, I, I think so, too. A part of this is me being a little bit hyperbolic. Of course, like, I'm of taking course. this in jest. I fully expect this to never be brought up ever again. Oh, no, no, certainly uh, not. But if we are to take this on face value, Arthur is a documentary series produced by Matt David about him and his friend's life. But it makes you wonder, like, did the do you think the writers knew what they were doing? doing when they created this and did they think that where are we like 15 years later there would be people of all ages talking about this on the internet and you know it, it's it's kind of like creating lore where you didn't even mean to about how you know a lot of fandoms will talk about the most extraneous or meaningless crap essentially that as if it's the most important thing in the world and and to us to arthur fans this is it. Like, this is one of the, you know, this is one of the stringiest yeah. theories. Like, you could make YouTube videos off of this. You could you, you could write Twitter threads on it. It's just, you could really think this to death. And I think that that... And, and, and in reality, in reality, I bet it was, they wanted to come up with an ending that wasn't just Arthur winning the contest. Right, exactly. But and but I think, I think that's encouraging, though. I think that that's cool that Arthur has room for that type of, uh, that type of thought. And as much as I don't think that um, you know, it was meant to be this earth shaking, um, you know, recontextualization of the show. I do think it's a neat idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they thought it was a neat idea and it's definitely memorable. I think this is one of the most memorable Arthur episodes and probably deserves to be. I think that this is more remembered for the picture of Arthur with Matt Damon and people being like, why is Matt Damon an aardvark? But it is like this episode deserves to be more well known as like, one of the more strange and like an, another example of how Arthur is a very metatextual show 
for yes. a PBS and a PBS Kids animated show about an aardvark. So I really appreciate what it did here. Um, it's too bad that an episode had to follow it. Um, which is too again too bad because I liked Dancing Fools. I thought it was uh, a very lighthearted. Um, a very lighthearted story that unfortunately had to follow the you know the genre bending take on the on the show. Um, Francine and George, another great combination. You introduce George in the show, and you can get all kinds of character combinations you didn't get before. He has a he has a much more distinct personality now, and them playing off each other. I think you could have done a little bit more of it, but it was nice to have. George get a bit of confidence in Francine finding something else that she likes to do, and also how that affects people around them, like Muffy and Binky. I thought the character interactions were very good. I thought there were some funny parts to it. And it's also, like, it's okay. Like, I, I, I feel like if this were made 10 years before, it would be like, oh, George is a boy and he likes to dance, but nothing was made out of it. He just found that he likes to dance, and they did. And it wasn't a big deal. So I thought this was really... Really cute and light. It wouldn't be, you know, one of my favorite Arthur episodes of all time, but it's <laughs> maybe, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it would be in, like, my favorite of the season if it just weren't paired with the making of Arthur. But uh, it was a fun come down from me screaming what the F at my computer screen <laughs> after that. So what did you think? I actually love Dancing Fools. Oh, did you? I think Dan- yeah, Dancing Fools is probably my favorite Arthur episode I've seen in a very long time. Oh, wow. Um yeah, I thought it was really really funny. Um I I loved the pairing of Francine and George. It's I, I always love it when they pair two ca- two characters together that we haven't seen kind of work together before, and I think it's a perfect kind of odd couple. Um I think that uh this is another example of, you know, Muffy's certainly being Muffy in this episode, but they're using her in a way where she's really funny and not annoying. Mm. Um, and then of course, you know, and he doesn't really make an appearance until kind of the last quarter of the episode, but the stuff with Biggie is just incredible. Like Biggie, <laughs> Biggie's whole plan or lack thereof of him dancing in an alleyway dressed like an eighties movie character, uh, <laughs> to try to intimidate Dor- Georgia to giving up. And then we get this whole arc of, you know, George and Francine really realizing that they like, you know, dancing and, and they really want to ex- succeed at it. And that's kind of parallel to this arc of, uh, Muffy and Biggie learning to be supportive of Fred's and in a classic episode like this you know you want it to all uh, culminate with the dance competition itself and I think this is a great example of you know often when we're critical of Arthur episodes it's because certain elements aren't being given enough time right we'll say oh you know this ending came out of nowhere Mm. or we'll say oh you know I wish this subplot could have could have had a little bit more room to breathe or if they had more time to work on this Um, this is a perfect example of all of the elements are given the exact right amount of time that we tell like this perfect, complete story um, in the format of an Arthur episode. So it kind of reminds me of like some of my favorite Arthur episodes in that it's really funny. Um, you're never bored. It has this like forward momentum, but everything in it makes sense. And I, I think that there's something there's a good moral to be gleaned from it as well. And I think it's just done in really effectively. So though it's not kind of it doesn't have the bombast or the standout element of something like, you know, Damon showing up on Arthur and then also recontextualizing the whole show. I think what stood out about Dancing Fools for me, especially even being compared to that episode, is how solid of an Arthur episode is, you know, in the spirit of something like a Grandpa's Dave's Country Farm or something like that. I just think, you know, Dancing Fools is an example of kind of Arthur firing on all cylinders. 
Well, there you go. One of Lucas's favorite Arthur episodes ever. I definitely didn't see that one coming. This has been an unpredictable episode across the board. So yeah. thank I, you. I, I, listen, if nothing else, what a, a great two like two episodes. It's always fun when we have like two really excellent ones back to back. And they and and now you can't fill in that bingo square of uh, we sound tired or bored or zone out during an episode. No, we're here for it. We we've brought the energy. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Velvet City Limits. A couple things before we let you go here. Of course, we have our patrons. I didn't forget about you. Uh, just uh, had a little bit of computer difficulty right after the emails. Had to do a bit of restarting, and now we're back. I want to welcome our new patrons like Kirsten and uh, Iman. Thank you very much for uh, supporting us on Patreon, which you can do, along with other such wonderful people as Rachel Pearson, uh, Michaela Gibson, Sierra S., Aaron DeFilippo, William, uh, Shayna Bennett, Riley Stevens, Christine Wong, Greg Hagai, and EJ Acra, among many, many others. Thank you so much. And over on Patreon, of course, we just had another landmark episode of For the Kids. And I'm not just saying that. We had one of, I think... Both of our favorites, uh, one of our favorite episodes that we've ever recorded on uh, everybody's least favorite Caillou. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you were going to, um, if you were kind of wondering about when to take the plunge on, on, you know, paying to get into the Patreon, uh, I mean, there's lots of reasons. There's the discord, there's the commentaries, but, uh, if you were waiting for an episode you were interested in of for the kids, I think this is one of the best, uh, for the kids episodes we've ever done. I, I think it, we, I was really surprised, let's just say by some of the stuff in Caillou. So it's interesting discussion. If you're interested in like what we think about the show, check out the free preview that we put up on the uh, on the free feed here or wherever you get Elwood City Limits. Um, I guarantee you that's just the tip of the iceberg. We had such a great time uh, recording that episode, and we love doing For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. Uh, next week, we're going to come out with a new episode. This one is going to be on one that we've never watched called Word Girl, but a lot of people, a lot of listeners have wanted us to talk about Word Girl, so we will be. And, of course, next time on Elwood City Limits, we will be talking about the episodes Hick or Treat and Mr. Always Right. Uh, Not exactly as recognizable as the making of Arthur, but uh, as we get back into the swing of things, I'm going to try not to expect uh, Arthur episodes to shake the foundations like they just were in this episode. Uh, so I'll just have to dial that down a little bit and we're looking forward to uh, speaking with you again as we get into February uh, is it going to be Pisces season when we when we reconvene in two weeks here or are we still uh, a little bit far so. away I don't think so I think <coughs> oh excuse me oh my goodness <gasps> I'm allergic to astrology no um <laughs> we're in the throngs of Aquarius season right now I don't think it's going to be Pisces season until the 19th the 19th okay so before before the end of the month you'll be hearing from lucas again uh make sure to check our social media this week i'll have that bingo card uh out where you guys can kind of download the image file and have a little bit of fun with that and hey if you want to add anything else to the bingo card slash drinking game of elwood city limits uh if you're an eagle-eared listener like blake again blake thank you very much feel free to add to it um you know it's you know you do a podcast for four and a half going on five years you're we're bound to do things uh, you know, I notice stuff like that too as the editor, so it's just funny when other people do. Anyway, thanks again for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. Well, there's always cable. We'll see you next time.